0: I do not want to wear this mask because it's against my constitutional right. A mask mandate should not be optional, but mandatory. And then there were six.
1: What DeSantis is trying to do is not not legal, not constitutional, and and he knows
0: it. School districts defy Florida's no mandatory mask rules and put funding at risk.
2: I have to make a determination as it relates to what's in the best interest of all of our children. Personally, People's lives are invaluable. We have more
3: patients in hospital and uh, and younger patients in hospital.
2: Mandates
4: at medical centers as Florida heads to a pandemic peak.
0: Earthquake, storm, pain and suffering in Haiti.
2: I'm very grateful to these doctors working with their bare hands. It's horrific
0: for everyone. South Florida doctors on the ground. All live, real time, this week in South Florida. Good morning, glad you could join us. I'm Michael Putnam.
4: I'm Glenna Milberg. We begin today with the battles at home and abroad. Still and again, South Florida dealing with the consequences of rising COVID numbers. Hospitals facing rising admissions and tightening resources. Schools opening with concerns about health and also funding
0: and if that weren't enough south florida is also the launch point for rescue efforts in haiti which was battered by that huge earthquake a week ago but we are going to begin today with the rescue efforts from the taliban rule in afghanistan that is an increasingly tense and chaotic scene at the kabul airport
4: congresswoman debbie Wasserman schultz joins us from weston today she is a democrat and a vet in the u.s house of representatives Congressman, great to see you. Thanks so much for being with us today.
1: You too, Glenna, good to see you both.
0: And we are so glad to see you. Well, Congresswoman, let's begin with those scenes, the pictures that you, the whole world has seen now. They are terrifying, they are chaotic. Uh, People's lives at risk uh, in Afghanistan, trying to get out of Kabul. Uh, The president says the buck stops with him. Uh, is he responsible for this bungled exit from Afghanistan?
1: Well, first, let me certainly say that the uh, the, the images we're seeing out of out of Afghanistan are heartbreaking, heart wrenching, um, and that's why we are committed to make sure that we get all of our personnel, all U.S. citizens that wish to leave, and the allies. It, Uh, from Afghanistan that helped the United States over the last 20 years to safety. Um, That having been said, let's remember what our goal was 20 years ago. When we went into Afghanistan, our goal was to go after the terrorists that attacked the United States on 9-11 and killed more than 3,000 people, um, nearly 4,000 people and, uh, and make sure that we neutered their ability to do that again. Uh, we have done that. We have achieved the goal of eliminating the ability of Al Qaeda to be the terrorist threat that they were and to ever perpetrate an attack like that on the United yeah, States. Or any, or
0: if, if I may, I'm sorry to interrupt, but yes, you know, you're absolutely right. The United States got Osama bin Laden and had some successes in denying the Taliban and Al Qaeda a home base in Afghanistan. But I think that was in the past, everybody agreed. President Trump agreed, President Biden agreed. It was time to get out. The question is the way we are getting out. I mean, it is frankly humiliating, isn't it?
1: I think what is the most troubling is that we spent many years building up the fighting forces and the ability for the Afghan military to be able to defend their own country. The 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 choice that the president faced was to either continue the withdrawal because there was a ceasefire uh, that would have ended on May 1st, uh, or commit even more troops and face yet another decade of fighting. And so making sure that we can I I mean predicting that the Afghan troops that that we trained, who we gave billions of dollars to, would just would, would be able to defend their country, that was paramount. And it was very difficult uh, to predict that they would just give up and that the political leadership would flee the country. And so continuing uh, to, to prop up a country uh, like uh, that won't even defend itself uh, or preserve its freedom is, uh, is is not in the United States' interest. What is in the United States' interest is making sure, and we are committed to doing that and will we'll be doing that, to getting all of the Americans out that... Want, wish to leave, supporting our allies and in, in, uh, who supported us in Afghanistan, and getting them out. In the last uh, uh, since August 14th, we have brought out 25,000 individuals, 3,900 personnel, and that effort continues. Yes, it is chaotic. Uh, the Taliban is surrounding the airport, and it the, the chaos is something that we are doing everything we can to manage and once we are able to achieve the president's commitment to get everyone out to safety, then our uh, our country will be better off. And the key thing will be to make sure that we can help the women in particular in Afghanistan not see a reversal to, and, and a, a total loss of their freedom that they won and that we helped them win over the last 20 years.
4: Congresswoman, all, all of those things taken into account, we're talking to a local, your constituents, our local South Florida audience, and and really the last four administrations and the intel and our allies and the decisions, that's not what they're talking about today. Are our, our, In our streets, in our neighborhoods, they're looking at the president and thinking he is doing something that they just can't believe is happening. What do you tell your constituents to reassure them that the president's agenda going forward is still solid in your words?
1: I'm not quite sure what you're asking. Uh, what I'm hearing from my constituents overwhelmingly is that they support withdrawing from Afghanistan. You know, Have th- this is the fourth president who has presided over trying to manage what is essentially a civil war in that country. we They are thankful and appreciative uh, that President Obama was able to uh, not only kill Osama bin Laden, but over the course of the last 20 years, we made sure that that terrorist threat that was emanating from that country and from Pakistan was essentially eliminated. And that was the main reason we engaged there. Uh, it was not uh, really... It was not really predictable. Uh, and who would, who would have thought that, that in, uh, Afghani citizens who were taught by world, our world allies and the United States to defend themselves and protect themselves and were provided with billions of dollars of equipment would just give up and leave uh, and, and yeah. didn't care enough. No, just let me finish, please. Didn't care enough about preserving their own freedom to stay and fight, uh, that
4: that's their job,
1: not ours. And uh, and we, may, we need to make sure that the other threats that we face around the world, we're able to engage fully.
4: So let's bring it home a little bit. Uh, right now, we are fighting a battle in South Florida as the epi, uh, epicenter of the COVID pandemic, have not reached a peak yet by all accounts. Uh, this, year, this week, you and, and your colleagues came out uh, very strongly opposing everything that the governor has done pretty much. Um, He and his opponents live on frankly different planets when it comes to COVID policy. What do you right now see happening as schools open, as hospitals fill up uh, with the rules that we have and the laws that we have in place in the state of Florida? What's your path? Uh, I know on a national level, the president and his administration is planning on supplanting any kind of financial penalties that teachers and the superintendents, and uh, board members are threatened with for mask mandates. W- what is your position?
1: Lana, well, we've been fighting a dire public health threat in, in the COVID-19 pandemic over the last year and a half. Um, and unfortunately we are led by a governor who, ha- who has he himself become a public health threat. Uh, it is just stunning that we have a governor that is actually focused the most on prohibiting our school boards our local governments from keeping floridians safe and keeping the people who travel here safe uh, his number one priority appears to be preventing requ- the requirement to wear masks which we know is one of the most significant ways that we can prevent the spread of the virus um, you know if you go back to martin luther king martin luther king jr talked about uh, opposing unjust laws uh, and that being uh, the important focus of morality and and making sure that we can stand up for people who don't have the ability to stand up for themselves. And that's, that's what our school boards are doing. Uh, the, the sixth school board, Sarasota County uh, School Board on Friday adopted a mask mandate in defiance of this really unsafe prohibition that the governor has imposed. Yeah. And now there are more than a million students faculty, a million students who are protected by those school boards decision to focus on public health Rather than
0: politics. We understand there are now six school boards around the state of Florida that, in fact, have defied the governor and the legislature. Uh, Congresswoman, stay right where you are. We've got a lot more questions for you. We'll be back with Debbie Wasserman Schultz in just a minute. On the Sunday morning, we are speaking with Congresswoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz, Democrat from Weston. Uh, Congresswoman Governor DeSantis, as you well know, has made the issue of masks in school when he says of personal liberty, of freedom, constitutional rights, and then he says the school boards are simply disobeying the laws of the state of Florida. And the legislature did pass this parental choice uh, law and the governor signed an executive order uh, whether there is a higher moral authority or not these school boards are they not uh, technically breaking the law
1: no they definitely are not breaking the law and i think that will play out in court most likely Um, the governor doesn't have the authority to prevent school boards who are responsible for safety of our of our children our school children um that's uh that that's a requirement in the law as well and that's exactly what they're doing the last two days we've had more than 50,000 cases of covid across the state we have record hospitalizations we have young people who are getting sick the governor should be focused on promoting vaccination and making sure that we could use every, that, that local officials can use every tool at their disposal, including mask requirements, including social distancing, and discouraging people from circulating publicly because we are at our worst point in this entire pandemic. He is a public health threat, like I said, and it's important that we all pull together and work together as elected officials to help make sure that we can keep people safe. And he is standing in the way of that and it is actually making people less safe.
4: In our effort to get to a lot of different subjects that you're involved in, switch gears really quickly. DHS Secretary Mayorkas was in town this uh, this week and you were with him when he spoke to different constituencies in South Florida, a Haitian community, Cuban community. Uh, let's talk about the Biden policy on Cuba, which essentially hasn't really much changed from the Trump policy on Cuba. Uh, and yet here in South Florida, a lot of the exile community is is, feeling like the president needs to do more they've been very vocal about that they're focusing on internet what can you tell us about those plans
1: well i'm very proud of president biden and uh, it shows that in him sending secretary mayorkas down who is a cuban exile himself uh, down to south florida that the issue of making sure that we can build the momentum that came from the july 11th protests on the island uh, and make sure that we highlight that this is a top priority of this administration not only making sure that we can expand inter- internet access uh, making sure that through the tar- five rounds of more targeted sanctions that president biden has imposed rallying our regional and international partners around the world to put pressure on cuba those are critical comp- and and engaging in getting more communication because the cuban regime has uh, has really halted that um, that's critical right now uh, I, I've not seen one thing that uh, I know my Republican colleagues have uh, have said that articulate what more they think President Biden should do. And really, it, it, is, uh, it is rich for Republicans like Ron DeSantis to suggest that he is standing up for justice when he himself pushed through a law that made protest illegal and who has supported and passed into law in Florida voter suppression laws. Republicans have no credibility on this issue. Joe okay. Biden is taking action to stand up for the Cuban people.
4: Can I just—the uh, the law that was passed doesn't make PROTEST illegal. It makes violence at protests illegal. Just oh, no. set that straight.
1: It goes after peaceful protesters and makes peaceful protests illegal in this state, Klena. And that's why the law has been challenged and it will be struck down as unconstitutional. How so? Can you
4: can you just clarify that? How so? How do, how does the law make peaceful protests illegal?
1: The, the law in Florida prohibits individuals who are expressing their First Amendment right to protest and gather in crowds. It makes gathering in crowds unlawful, and he is—he has thrown his priority has been to throw obstacles in the path of people who are peacefully protesting. Uh, it is—it does not just crack down on violent protests. We—we we, we saw them go after peaceful protesters and. He doesn't have any interest in making sure that what they say they're fighting for in Cuba actually be allowed here in the United States and in, our, in the state of Florida. Republicans have no credibility on this subject. They're making it harder for people to vote in the state, harder for people to vote, vote in this country, and they're making it more difficult for people to protest. Those are the kinds of priorities that they have in America, so they have no credibility in standing up for expanding those rights for C- Cubans on the island. Yeah.
0: Well, just to put it on the record, even the ACLU does not go as far as you have uh, interpreting that uh, anti-protest law.
1: Regardless, they have put obstacles, Ron DeSantis and the Republican legislature have put obstacles in the path of people who want to protest the the government's uh, oppression. And now they have the audacity to suggest that they're standing up for the Cuban people's right to freedom of speech freedom of expression, the right to vote, when they have made it harder to vote here and they have made it harder to express your opinion publicly in gatherings of peaceful protesters.
4: Congresswoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz, we always value your time. We always feel like we run out of time, so apologies for that. It's great to have you with us today. Thanks.
0: Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, an unprecedented opening of schools.
4: Miami-Dade and Broward, Palm Beach County, all under that mask mandate and threat of financial consequences. The view from the top, that's next. Today actually marks the end of the 48-hour deadline for two school districts, Broward among them, also Alachua, that defied the state law against mandatory masks at school. Miami-Dade's deadline is very likely to follow.
0: The state education commissioner says if they do not reverse their policy on masks, then board members who voted for that policy are going to have their paychecks suspended could start as early as next week. Madeline Wright is following this Big controversy. Good morning, Marilyn. Madeline, she is live. Don't know where you are, but good to see you.
5: (laughs) Good to see you too, Glenna and Michael. I'm here at Coral Gables Senior High School, where the Superintendent of Miami Dade County Public Schools spoke earlier this morning. Despite the threats, Broward County Public School District employees the board members that is are not backing down and neither is the superintendent of miami-dade schools he says that the loss of his paycheck is a small price to pay for the safety of students and staff today is the deadline for broward county schools to walk back its mask mandate or lose state funding equal to the salaries of its board members On Friday, the Florida Board of Education gave Broward and Alachua County Schools 48 hours to make a decision.
0: And So all we're doing is implementing Florida law.
5: If the school district gives parents the option to opt their children out of wearing masks, then the state will not impose financial penalties. But the school district says it will not reverse course and will take legal action against the state. I
2: can't put a price tag on somebody's life. So this is all our project work that we have.
5: Ahead of the first day of school in Miami-Dade County, Superintendent Alberto Carvalho met with the principal of Coral Gables Senior High School. His district is imposing a mask mandate for students, but the State Board of Education has not decided whether to investigate the district for non-compliance.
3: We are resolute in, uh, in our position. We are unflinching in our commitment to the health and well-being of our students and teachers.
5: Broward School Board members have not said whether or not definitively they will take up President Joe Biden's offer to use federal money to offset the loss of state funding. Live in Coral Gables, Madeline Wright, Glenna and Michael, back to you.
4: Madeline, great to have you. Thanks so much. The mask mandate will be in place as Miami-Dade public schools open tomorrow.
0: Like Broward, Miami-Dade School Board had only one board member who voted against the mandate, and the other ones who voted for it now risk the same financial consequences as Broward.
4: There's Vice Chair Steve Gallon. He wrote the school protocols that began with a rule-abiding parent opt-out, which was then taken off the table before the vote. Steve Gallon, great to have you with us
2: today. Dr. Gallon. Always a pleasure to be here.
0: Uh, Dr. Gallon, welcome. We are glad to see you. As far as we know, neither you nor anybody else at the Miami Dade Public Schools has received that same letter that Broward got on Friday saying, if you're not in compliance, we're going to cut off your paycheck. Have you gotten that letter?
2: No, at this particular time, we've received no communication from the state, nothing written, nothing verbal. Uh, there has been no subsequent communication since on Wednesday's vote.
4: So, um, I just want to point out and and pick up where we left off, originally the protocols that you wrote that went to a vote this week, they did have the parent opt-out without the necessity for a medical communique, which actually our viewers in Monroe should know, Florida Keys, Monroe County has a parent opt-out in place, so it is abiding, one of the only South Florida school districts that is actually abiding with those state rules. So why did you and your colleagues on the board decide to eliminate that small component, leave the parent opt out in place and comply with the law?
2: Uh, I initially drafted the item of Planner on Thursday prior to the Friday meeting of the State Board of Education. I had an opportunity to observe and note the uh, discourse that was taking place at the state and actually local and national levels. And I contemplated those three factors, parental choice, compliance with the law, but most importantly, the safety and welfare of our employees and our children. Uh, Subsequent to that, we had a meeting, a very compelling meeting with our medical experts. We had some additional recommendations that came in through the American Association of Pediatrics, the Florida Association of Pediatrics. And again, we had an additional opportunity to hear from the public. Uh, Those three opportunities uh, really fueled my decision to make make, make the recommendation to amend the item And uh, subsequent to the public hearing of nearly 100 speakers, I made the recommendation to amend the item to remove the opt-out provision.
0: Yeah. Uh, Dr. Gallen, uh, during that lengthy public hearing where many people got up, spoke for and against the mask, most of them said they do want the masks, kids in masks at school, there was a teacher from the Sentner Academy, which famously had refused to wear masks uh, early on, The teacher said, essentially, that putting small children in face masks at school for hours on end could affect negatively their socialization, their ability to sort of know how to get along with other kids. Uh, Now, you are an experienced educator. What's your opinion on that?
2: Um, Obviously, uh, as an adult, I don't like to wear a mask. My eight-year-old daughter does not like to wear a mask. It does provide some levels of impediment. But to uh, conclude that it will have some short-term and long-term socialization issues, I think that was more anecdotal. And again, that's not supported by any research or any science. Uh, Listen, Michael, we've heard a number of of narratives around what masking does and does not do for children and for adults. But what we do know from science, from the data that has been proven, from the research that is on the books over the past 18 months, is that masks reduce and mitigate the spread of COVID-19, which ultimately saves lives. We do know that. That is something
4: we do know. To your point, there is such a, a, we have such difficulties having a a really common sense based discussion because of the political rhetoric that seems to be swirling every time somebody brings up masks. (laughs) But I I wanna ask you, practically speaking, we're watching Broward and sort of predicting what will happen in Dade by what happens in Broward. Broward school started uh, 250 some odd thousand students a fraction of those students' families opted out. Do you have any sense of what the real numbers would be for parents to opt out of a mask mandate should should they had that choice? And would it be such a small fraction that does this even matter as a a policy?
2: Yeah, we, we, we did an analysis and based on our preliminary analysis, it's not scientific, obviously, uh, that number will be ministered. We do know that, and you're absolutely correct. This has been a very loud, a very uh, cacophonous uh, discourse that was really undergirded by politics. So the amplification of that particular narrative makes it appear that there is widespread uh, uh, embracement of having a non mass policy, but that is not the case. Uh, I will hover around 90 plus percent of our parents support masks. The communication from our uh, board members uh, after the vote was ha- has been extremely positive. And again, as this issue devolved into a very politically driven uh, issue, uh, our board, under the leadership of our chair, Ms. Perlative Hampman and our, our colleagues, uh, we were devoid of politics and uh, we're nonpartisan, but as you indicate through that seven to one vote, we stood in solidarity for science, we stood in solidarity for what we know, we stood in solidarity for our employees and our students. Yeah. And we made an apolitical decision.
0: Yeah, Dr. Steve Gallen, let let us not sort of neglect the happy part of what is going on in the Miami-Dade public schools. It is just so exciting that they are going to open tomorrow and really for the first time in what, 15 months, kids are going to go to school. They'll be learning uh, in a classroom. Are you excited about that? Are the school, are the schools ready for those kids?
2: Uh, Absolutely. I I think you hit it on the nail, Michael. Uh, My 30-plus years as an educator, the opening of schools is in my DNA from a teacher, from a principal, from a superintendent. Uh, I have lived and breathed opening of schools, and I think this really gets our community and our children and our families back to some sense of normalcy. And, And let me just say this. We've had a lot of discussion about the law and compliance therewith. The 2021 legislature specifically indicated that schools should remain open. And one of the provisions outlined in that law states that we should utilize and adopt recommended strategies from federal and local agencies. So uh, it's not about picking and choosing which laws we want to follow. It's about being able to square the laws that we have on the books uh, and juxtapose those to a 90-day emergency order issued by the government, by the governor, and make sure that we make uh, a decision that provides for the safety Health and wellness of our children. So, we have three laws that we have to square the Constitution, which we're to operate and maintain safe uh, schools. Uh, the legislature indicated that we're to utilize the mitigating strategies. And we have an executive order that has a lifespan of 90 days that said, Thou shalt not wear masks in school.
4: Dr. Gallen, speaking of laws on the books, one of the laws on the books in the Constitution is class size. Uh, we know that 25 as a class size cap is a number that is routinely broken and that there are all kinds of ways to get around that. And this time, this year, uh, the number of people in that classroom has a, has a, a context that had never had before where social distancing comes into play. I, I've heard from Miami-Dade teachers getting their class lists that far exceed 25 people. How are you going to keep people socially distanced and somehow meet the class size cap if, if you even have to? How, how is that gonna go this year?
2: Oh, absolutely. And you know I'm a, I'm a straight shooter. That is a challenge. I've heard some feedback from teachers as well relative to uh, the class rosters that they've received. Uh, we'll be in communication with the superintendent and the administration. And we also have an opportunity to reconcile class sizes uh, throughout the week what teachers initially get having been a principal for 10 years is an initial roster Uh, we do have to deal with the students who show up and those who do not show up but that particular process uh is usually worked out throughout the initial days and weeks and we intend to comply with our class size provisions and I'm more concerned specifically with those core areas, the English, the reading, the mathematics, those areas that really speak to accountability and those areas that are going to be critically important if we're going to address these learning losses that we talked about over the past 18 months with our students. So that is a concern and that is something we'll be closely following as a board, as I'm sure the superintendent will
0: as well. All right, Dr. Steve Gallan, always good to see you. Thanks very much and good luck with uh, opening school tomorrow. Hope it's a big success.
4: Thanks again. Thank
2: Thank you so much Glenn and Michael. You all be safe. Thank you. Thanks.
4: As the number of COVID patients rise, hospitals fill and some in South Florida are now requiring all staff to be vaccinated.
0: The Memorial Healthcare System in Broward is one of them. The Chief Nursing Executive at Memorial is going to join us live next. As the number of COVID patients rise in South Florida, hospitals here are filling up and some of those hospitals are now requiring all their staff to be vaccinated.
4: The Memorial Health System in Broward is one and that was kind of a sudden change in policy that the CEO announced last week. Maggie Hansen is the chief nursing executive at Memorial Healthcare System and joining us today live. Ms. Hansen, great to see you. Thank you so much
3: for being with us my privilege. Thank you so much.
4: So tell us early last week uh, at Memorial, there was a a message put out that that was urging Memorial staff to be vaccinated. I think the number that came with that was almost four in 10 of the staff was not. Uh, And just days later, the CEO put out an announcement that it would be mandatory come October. What changed so suddenly?
3: well actually we've been encouraging all of our memorial teammates to get vaccinated since they were made available and we became one of the first sites in florida to be able to um, administer the vaccinations Um, we have slowly increased the rate of vaccinations amongst our uh, memorial teammates all of our caregivers um, to uh, 61 percent, and then in the last week we have moved since our president announced that we would be Um, requiring all employees to be vaccinated by October, we are now um, seeing 71% of our teammates vaccinated. We look forward to that moving upwards very quickly because we know it's the right thing to do. Um, We want our community to be vaccinated. We need to work through all of those myths and those concerns that people have had so that all of our teammates are safe themselves and are safely delivering care to the people that we're privileged to care for every day.
0: Yeah, Miss Hansen, I know you have been in the nursing profession 30 years. You're obviously excellent at it. You wouldn't be the chief nursing officer if you were not. Explain what are these myths, for goodness sake, that people, especially people in the medical profession, are citing as a reason not to be vaccinated?
3: Well, there are various reasons why people have not been vaccinated yet. I think some um, of the of the reasons people um, have waited is because they wanted to see what happened to other people. And you know, eight months have passed now, and we have seen that vaccines are highly effective and that they are the uh, means to the end of this pandemic. Yeah, some well, if, they, peer- if
0: they exca- they've been waiting to see what would happen if you are at a hospital, you have pe- seen people suffer and die. Wouldn't that be sort of a motivator to get a, 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 a shot?
3: yeah absolutely it is and more of the people that are on the front line witnessing the suffering the morbidity and the mortality that comes with COVID, are vaccinated you know some of the uh, of the moms to be were waiting for statements to come out from the professional organizations that it was safe for them to be vaccinated they are getting vaccinated now some people were waiting for the mandate some people were waiting for an incentive um, we are seeing people standing in lines in our hallways now Um, waiting for our um, employee health professionals to give them that vaccine. So again, we look forward to everybody being vaccinated by October 1st.
4: Ms. Hansen, um, to your point, messaging is, has been, and will be such a critical part of getting through this pandemic. That said, I'd like to put up a tweet so everyone could see that. This was a tweet by Miami-Dade school board, Luby Navarro. She is the sole no vote on the mask mandate. Uh, the beginning, she, she said she's firm on giving the choice to parents, which is state law. But the very first line of the tweet says she does not support masking our children. And this is relevant to our discussion because Luby Navarro is uh, with Memorial Healthcare. She is the government liaison, uh, realizing, director of government affairs, I believe, is her title, and realizing that is not your department and that is not a medical uh, component still as an employee of the medical system that you are part of that messaging, I'd like to hear you weigh in on on how that affects what you and your medical system is trying to do.
3: Well, actually everybody has the right to their own opinion. We have 14,000 employees in the Memorial Healthcare System and people have the right to their own opinions. However, I'm a clinician and I follow the science and The majority of us um, know that wearing a mask is source control, and that is one tool that we have in the chest to prevent the spread of this infection. And the Delta variant right now that we're seeing in our healthcare system, which is the cause of the majority of our admissions, is highly transmissible. So um, the clinicians that are following the science, following the CDC recommendations, want people to be masked well, and that, that, um, is a,
4: r- that is a that f- is a fair point but this is um and, and understood i'm not taking a position and and ms navarro is certainly entitled to her opinion but this is someone who lobbies the state government making the very rules that govern memorial health
3: care system yes well again um Ms. Navarro has the right to to hold her own opinion Um, My opinion as a clinician as well as um, the people that I work with every day on our clinical steering committee that have been leading through this pandemic for 18 months already believe we need to follow the science. So in our hospitals, everybody wears a mask. In fact, um, we are increasing the number of N95 masks for our people so that we can reduce the risk of infection throughout our own organization and keep everybody safe. Right now, we have 700 uh, COVID-19 patients in our healthcare system. Last week, we topped what we thought was going to be our peak, which occurred in July of 2020 of 672 patients um, in our healthcare system with COVID. We have 700 now. This Delta Uh variant is very transmissible. Um, There's a lot of people that are sick. We have a lot of patients in our healthcare system also that are um, being treated for ailments and injuries that are not COVID related. So we are busy and we wanna be able to control what we can so that we can get back to the business of healthcare yeah. as we were delivering it uh, pre-COVID.
0: Yeah, Maggie Hanson, let me ask you very briefly. Uh, we have heard about problems with staffing at hospitals throughout the state of Florida. Do you have a staffing shortage uh, in the memorial system?
3: everybody has a staffing shortage. Um, You know, when you look at having patients that are high in numbers in general, and the fact that we entered into this pandemic in a staffing shortage, it's been um, compounded by the pandemic. Yes, we do, and we're taking many measures um, to address the staffing shortage. Right now, you know, we have Um, about 40% of our patients on any given day can be COVID-related. That adds burden to the amount of care that has to be delivered. There's a lot of PPE, there are a lot of interventions that have to be deployed. Um, and that does make it difficult for everybody. As far as nursing, um, prior to COVID-19, we were dealing with the impact of the baby boomers. Um, the baby boomers were living longer, having more comorbid conditions, which required a lot of hospitalization. At the same time, um, baby boomer nurses were retiring. So we entered into the pandemic 18 months ago already in a nursing shortage. And then with the onset of COVID-19, um, we saw those, um, same factors increase. More baby boomers were sick. And more of the baby boomer nurses were retiring faster.
4: Yeah, Memorial. And add to that it, many of them,
3: you know, took some travel assignments. And just the stress alone from dealing with the COVID right. pandemic has caused. We
4: we certainly that. have heard that from other systems as well. For forgive the interruption, we mm. have to say goodbye. We are out of time. Maggie Hansen, chief nursing executive at Memorial Healthcare. So good to have you with us, and we Thanks do very appreciate much, your Maggie. time.
0: Alright, next the pipeline of help for Haiti leads straight from South Florida. We have a major connection there with a the medical team on the ground and they are going to join us live next. The situation in Haiti is grim a week after that 7.2 magnitude earthquake that was centered on the southwest peninsula
4: so many in south florida are on the front lines of mobilizing medical supplies and getting personnel to those hardest hit neighborhoods the major highway connecting them to port-au-prince where the airport is that's washed out and or taken over by gangs nevertheless doctors nurses and humanitarians are going in dr barth green is a renowned surgeon leading medical missions to Haiti for decades under the project MediShare banner. We also have Stacy House with us via phone. She is a rep- uh, respiratory therapist on the ground there, the group's volunteer director in Haiti. And we welcome you both. Barth Green, great to have you. You're sort of an icon in South Florida.
0: Mm-hmm. Icon to us. Mm-hmm. Dr. Green, welcome. We're glad to see you.
6: Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here and to be able to share our efforts and to hopefully uh, correct some misconceptions about what's going on and what the potential is for us to well, change the situation.
0: Uh, great, Dr. Green. Let's begin there. Talk about whatever misconceptions are out there and correct them.
6: Well, I, I believe um, there's a lot of misinformation about the severity of the. Uh, Uh, earthquake and the storm which uh, rapidly followed and it's still a major crisis on the ground and there are thousands of people who have perished and tens of thousands who are injured and every day very large numbers are being airlifted by a coalition that we meet with every day on a zoom call at the university of miami global institute in medishare we coordinate this call, and we've joined hands with government and non-governmental organizations like Paho and USAID, Southcom, and all the different organizations that are so critical um, for bringing the relief that is necessary in the short term to provide, you know, medical health relief, and in the longer term, people have lost their homes. There's no food, water, um, sanitation, all the issues that follow a uh, hurricane or, or earthquake, we've had a combination Yeah, and uh, it's unbelievable. It,
4: it is a, a double disaster at the moment, really. Let, let's bring it in real time. And because we have just a few minutes, I wanna be able to let you talk about what you're seeing there. We know that there, there now is danger too. There have been a couple of doctors and nurses Kidnapped for ransom on the way. Your team on the ground, and, and please do involve uh, the respiratory therapist with us on the phone. What are you seeing right now, and what do you need?
6: Well, security is an issue um, for sure, and that's something that the uh, Ministry of Health, the MSPP, and USAID, and, and Southcom, and other agencies are working on uh, together cooperatively, but there is a security issue with regards to the gangs which, who were present before this tragedy last week, um, and um, there's really um, a, a need for uh, a better level of security. Yeah. However, uh, we are protecting our volunteers um, completely. Um, the kidnapping, uh, the orthopedic surgeon works for us with us was returned safely, and um, the other doctor is not yet, but the fact is people realize that uh, it's important to take a time out from this type of activity. Right.
0: Dr. Green, can I interrupt you and ask you to help bring in your respiratory therapist, Stacy House, uh, who is in Haiti. She is not on video, she is on the phone, but uh, Ms. House, if you could tell us where you are and what the situation is like there?
7: Yes, yeah, so I'm at the um, National Airport here. Um, we have a triaging um, station set up. So as um, victims from the earthquake are brought in from the south, they will um, stop here, be offloaded from the helicopters. Um, and then we coordinate really closely with the local hospitals um, so that we're sending patients to the um, care that they need. Um, Certain hospitals are only capable um, with certain specialties. So it's really important that we don't overwhelm the hospitals and we get the patients that care.
0: Yeah, so you're sending patients to Port-au-Prince. How do you get them there? By helicopter? By plane?
7: So I'm in Port-au-Prince at the airport. So the, the helicopters will come from the south with patients come to the airport they're offloaded we triage them and then we have um, several different organizations with ambulances that will take them to different
0: stacy and dr barth green we apologize we are out of time we can try this again next week we are so grateful for the work that you do in haiti and we will be right back
4: What a day of news, and we thank you for being here with us. And remember, we're online 24-7 at local10.com.
0: And remember, as always, stay informed, get involved. Have a wonderful Sunday.